0: Our hope for this series is is just to give us a chance to thoughtfully consider our lives. And when something like that happens in the life of our church, of course, uh, something unexpected, we're reminded of of life's unexpected nature and the brevity of life. And that uh, is true. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, And and our our hope through this is just to build into our lives a a daily way, uh, a consistent habit of pondering and thinking about who we are and who we're becoming, um, it, it can feel like a tall order. But I want you to know this, that you, you do this already to a degree. It, it may not be purposeful, and it may not be a daily habit. And, and maybe some of the things we'll talk about through this series as we prepare for the Lent season will give you maybe some new tools to think about, maybe a new lens, a new frame, a new paradigm. Um, but you, you do this already, all the time because you have a memory, and because you have a way to look back and consider. And that memory enables you to think about things, and it comes up in conversations naturally all of the time. And so there's a pretty simple question that Donna and I, we ask each other uh, on a regular basis, and I bet you use this question too with people you know or people that you have some Daily interactions with. It's a little bit different question for people you don't see that often, but I bet it's similar. And uh, Don and I will go about our day. Maybe she's at work, maybe I'm at work, maybe she's at home, and, or vice versa. It could be either one of us, you know. Every now and then, either one of us is a stay at home dog parent, and every now and then, one of us is at work. And so, but when we then come back together, it's, it's very simple. One of the first things out of our mouth is this question How was your day? And that question that we ask, we just kind of shoot it out there. Hey, how, how, how'd your day go? There's maybe a few different ways we ask it, but I bet that if you are in connection with somebody that you, you know, in your family, you kind of go separate ways, and this could be your kids, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend, it even could be a coworker. If you're used to seeing each other on the regular and then you both have some projects or something, you come back together, you might just, you might just ask, how how's your day? And when this happens, Don and I ask each other this question, we begin to tell some stories. And we tell a story about the day. And usually if, uh, if we're on the phone, maybe she's on our way home, we ask this question or get face to face at the house, we ask this question. Either one of us can tell based on a countenance or a, or a sigh or a, a maybe a little bit of energy in the voice. Uh, what's about to come, right? In answer to this question, how was your day? And it could be that there was an event that one of us had to tend to or take care of or we knew something was happening, a, a meeting or a phone call or discussion, any number of things, and we expect the how was your day question to immediately go to that thing that we knew about, and so we start giving some summaries, some highlights. We tell good stories, and we tell Low stories. We talk about good things that happened and things that we just, ugh, oh, I mean, you're not gonna believe what happened today. And usually what follows is some one of the two, a highlight or a low light. Do you do this with your people? And you talk about the day. And I bet you talk about a variety of things. I bet you talk about anything from what you experienced. Who you saw, what you felt, what you had hoped for that didn't occur, what you didn't expect that did happen, and all of the things in between. And I bet you trade some stories. That happened to you? You don't believe what happened to me. I mean, our days were so similar, or our days couldn't have been more different. And all of these stories that we begin to tell about our day if you are in the habit of asking this question with somebody that you interact with uh, on a regular basis, they tell us something, whatever we decide to share. They tell us something about what we value or what we find important or what we find particularly discouraging or what we desire out of a day that either did happen, met our expectations, or didn't happen, left us feeling flat, disappointed, short, sad, all of those things. You can imagine when Donna and I talked about this on Friday after I had got the news from Gary, um, while it wasn't chiefly about my day, it's about Gary's day and his family and his son, it's the first thing that came out of my mouth because we know Dina well. And so these are the questions that frame our day and our responses and what we recount tells us something about what we value. I have a, I have a good friend. And when, if I were to ever ask him this question, hey, hey, how was your day? Every one of his answers has something to do with the food that he ate that day. How was your day? That was great, you wouldn't believe it. it. started out with this waffle, and man, this waffle, this waffle was well done, and the butter melted, and then for lunch, we had this brisket, and it was, ah. Oh. And so the day just kind of unfolded with the play-by-play of the food he ate all day long. Does, I mean, how's your wife? No, no, the, the brisket, man, the brisket. Your kids, how are you? no, no, let me tell you about the, the dinner, the dinner was, and so it was just food, food all the time. I mean, his wife walked in, he was on his computer, and you know, those things are played out a thousand times. He's looking at what's on the computer. He's looking for the restaurant next day's menu. <laughs> and he's, you know, it's, he's a, it's a problem, right? It's a problem. So it tells you something about this individual values what? Yeah, food. It's, it's really, really important to him. How was your day? And so my guess is, is that when you recount how your day was, your values are unearthed. What matters to you begins to surface a bit. Uh, Maybe you can think about it from this angle. What you feel like should be a part of your day and the disappointments underneath, that begins to surface. Or if something good occurred, what you classify as good that begins to surface and it's different for you, it's different for you, it's different for each of us. But it has something to do with your values. When when you ask this question of somebody and you get some answers, when you answer this question when it's asked of you, there are all kinds of things that could be mentioned and all of these things that are mentioned, For some of you, they're good, and for some of you, they're bad. For some of you, you might think that the the failure that I had today, it's just horrible. I never want to repeat it again. I don't want to live through it again. It's just the worst thing ever. When, When Thomas Edison's wife said, how was your day? He said, it was great. I learned 100 ways to not make a light bulb. He saw failure as a view of this is uh, what I'm into. I'm learning. I'm figuring the world out. Maybe it's friction or success. And even how you define success. I had a great day. Why? Nobody hassled me at all. Nobody. Nobody gave me grief at work. Nobody hassled me. Nobody called me out. They just left me alone. It was a beautiful day. And some of you have the opposite you how was your day it was great got into a fight at work <laughs> we figured out what matters most in fact if i don't have friction with somebody i would start to wonder am i even breathing so this is good we got to sort some things out and we wrestled it to the ground and you know almost came to blows in the in the meeting it was wonderful for some of you it's the experiences that you get to partake in and see for some of you if You answer this question. Every answer you give is about something in a relationship. We got to go someplace in a talk we've never gone before. We got to experience something together. In fact, that we were together made this thing meaningful, and worthwhile. Your values become slowly unearthed. And if you've lived long enough, you know this too that these things change over time. If you're in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s, all of these things take a different shape decade by decade. When our boys were little, I'd come home from work and I would say to Donna, how was your day? And she would say, nobody died. <laughs> nobody died. And I thought, man, the bar's pretty low around <laughs> this house, nobody died. Really? I mean, dismember maybe, but nobody died? And so when you're in the middle of raising little kids, your values, what makes a day a good day is very, very different. If you're trying to build a career, success looks different. If you value peace over friction, then you're gonna view interactions differently, your values. And they change with every season. If you're rounding third if you're pondering the scope of your life and you're wondering about the very things that will make your life, as you look back on it, meaningful, thoughtful, a life worth living, a life worth having lived, then these things begin to take a different shape. How was your day? So through this series, we're using this, this referee analogy this analogy of a referee who, who goes uh, in the context of a football game, any kind of football game, and he's, he's, a play has occurred, and maybe a coach is challenged there. Maybe it's in the final two minutes, and it's an automatic challenge. You know, lots of rules. There's tons of rules. If you want to know the rules, talk to Brian Speed. He knows all the rules. And so he goes, he goes to the monitor, and he comes up to the monitor, and he views it, and he is trying to figure out, is the call that we made the same? He's, he's evaluating What happened on the field, is it what we said it was, and does it live up to the proof of that was a catch, that was a touchdown, that was you fill in the blank? Except in our analogy, in our metaphor through this series, you are the referee, of course, but you're also the player on the field. You're both. You are the one that evaluates. You are the one that determines. You are the one that gets to decide. How is your day? Is it a good day? Is it a bad day? Not a good day. You are the ref and you are the player. And you make the ultimate decision. And you say, no, no, God's the ultimate judge. Of course, but we're not talking about ultimate judge. We're talking about whether lunch went well or not. We're talking about whether that discussion went well or whether you've made progress in being a little less impatient with the people around you. And you get to make that call every day. Now, what's great about this scenario is the ref has a criteria. It's an NFL rule book. You can get it online if you want. You can read the whole thing if you want. It's Great, fascinating, it's horrible, boring reading, it's awful. Uh, it was very thick. But every rule in the NFL, and, and they have terms that you, you, you don't even know what they mean. It, recently, the term that's been you know, used in, in the, the rule book is they try to sort through how to make calls is a football move. I don't even know what that means, a football move. Because I see the players move, and I think, I don't know how that's a football move. It would put, you put that on a dance floor, and it would sell. You know what I mean? All of these terms, they have a criteria. And even with a very detailed set of criteria and an HD 4K replay, a ref staring at a screen can still make the wrong call. And it happens all the time. It happened in 2012, week three NFL season. It was a fascinating game. Uh, Seahawks went to Lambeau Field, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Week three of that year, It was a fascinating year. The the play that you're looking at there is the play in question. It was the fourth quarter. There were eight seconds left in the game. Seahawks were down by five. A quarterback named Russell Wilson uh, decided that uh, at fourth and ten, he would give it one more shot. And so he threw up a pass, a high pass. We call that in NFL world, what do we call it? A Hail Mary. I'm telling you, the confluence between religion and sports is pretty thick. <laughs> it's, it's pretty deep. So he threw up a Hail Mary. Um, it, when he threw it up, uh, the Packer there on the ground had caught the ball. He had caught the ball. Uh, there was a Seahawk, though, um, Golden Tate, who had his hand on the ball. It was in the cradle the Packer's arms. Jennings was his name and they fell to the ground. Two referees ran to the play. One signals interception, the other signals touchdown. <laughs> and uh, melee and chaos ensued. And so you know what they did? They had to review it. So they said, wait, we're not sure. It's scoring play, final two miss, we're gonna be reviewed anyway. We have to review it, we have to review it. So they, they consulted, they stared at the screen, they did all that they had to do. And in spite of the announcers having called it an interception, everyone sure it's an interception, everyone in the stadium knew it was an interception, they called it a touchdown for the Seahawks. They walked away with a win. And now the play in NFL lore is not called a Hail Mary. That day it was called a, does anybody know? They call it the Fail Mary. (laughs) And it's hard work and they sometimes still get it wrong. Uh, reflecting and evaluating, even when you have the right criteria, you can find yourself in the middle of hard work that doesn't even pay off the way that you think it might have paid off. And so, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, as we discovered last week, so I run with, say it with me, purpose in every step. And this is diligent, it takes, it takes diligence, it takes effort, it takes hard work, to sort these things out but I'm here to tell you that you already do this when you begin to ask the simple question how was your day hard work diligent effort because we want to say what Paul said later to Timothy as an old man he said this I have done my what best in the race I have say it with me run the full distance I have done this I've run with purpose in every step, he says, as a younger man, later as an older man, he says, as I look back, this is what I've done. And we want to eventually say that, whether we're in our 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s, when we're most likely to look back in our life and want to be sure that we have run the race that we're supposed to be running. It's just a horrible idea to think that we might get to the end of the deal and think, you know what, I've used the wrong criteria, I've been running the wrong race, I've been trying to accomplish the thing that I thought was most important and over here was a value that I had missed or ignored or decided that it wasn't a part of my story. Or in the words of Stephen Covey, I got to the top of the ladder and realized that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. And so you and I as we live our lives as we as we ask this question, how was your day? our values emerge what we feel like is important, emerge. What you want begins to emerge. And for us to give careful thought to what those values are uh, as we build a daily reflection on who we are and who we are becoming, who we were, and we do it with this question and we begin to ask this question every day. Well, a day turns into not how was your day but how was your week? And if we ask that often enough, it doesn't become, how was your week, but how was your year? And all of a sudden, how was your day over time? Seems like you're going to tell some trivial things about your day, but they aren't. They matter. How was your day becomes, how was your life? How was it? That feels like a very different question, doesn't it? It feels like the scope is different because it is. Are we running the right race? Um... Is our ladder against the right wall? As we ponder what this daily habit of reflection would look like, sorting out the values that help us to answer this question thoughtfully in 10 or 20 years, what's a worth, worthwhile pursuit? And so for a few weeks, as we consider this, this daily reflection, I'm going to point you to two sections of Scripture. One's much longer, one's a little shorter, one's in the Old Testament, one's in the New Testament but they are going to help us sort through what matters most. It's going to help us, through a scriptural perspective, maybe thoughtfully consider the types of things that if we're going to say, you know what, today, today was a good day, that we'll end up thinking thoughtfully about this question about our day and how was it. And it will be helpful in these ways, scripturally. Uh, James tells us that scripture is like a mirror. In fact, James says if... if if you understand scripture well, it's like a mirror. It shows you who you are and how you behave and what kind of values you have. And if you forget what it says and you walk away, that's the same as you looking at a mirror and walking away and forgetting that you've got this big piece of leafy lettuce on your teeth or something. We would never do that. We, we know we know what a mirror is for, and scripture is like that. It, it shows us who we are, and it helps us compare our values against the values that God is sort of... Nominating is some thoughtful ways to think, some paradigms, lenses to view your life through. Maybe more appropriate, the writer of Hebrews says that scripture is like a, a sword. Or I think really the word is more like a scalpel. And that this scalpel of God's word is used to divide the attitudes and thoughts of our hearts. In other words, scripture can be used if you use it thoughtfully and reflect on it well it can be used to help you determine are the values that comprise the right wall that I'm gonna lean my ladder against or it's gonna mark out for me the race, the race course that I'm running. It's the right race, I'm on the right path, I, I value the right things, I'm headed toward good things and when I consider, thoughtfully reflect on my life, it's against over and about the things that God values, or the virtues, hopes, the ways he wants us to build relationships with each other. So with that in mind, I want to point you to these two scriptures, and today you get some homework, uh, which is fair. You haven't had homework in a long, long time, so no griping after class, okay? Um, The first homework assignment I'm giving you is to Read through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's it's an Old Testament book. It's in a part of our scriptures that we would call the the wisdom literature, included with uh, all of the Proverbs and a few other key pieces of scripture. But the story of Ecclesiastes is about a man's search for meaning and purpose in life. And so some of you read pieces of Ecclesiastes, but what I'm going to ask you to do over the next seven days before we gather next Sunday, either here or online, is to just take probably what would take you all of 20 minutes, even if you just sat down start to finish, a whole 20 minutes. Some of you overachievers will read it a couple times, that'd be great, Um, and just read through the book of Ecclesiastes, all 12 chapters. You read the beginning, and the middle, and the end. It's an incredible story. Now, I will tell you this. It's a tough book to read in the doldrums of winter. It's, it's a tough read. Uh, the sun came out today. I was so glad to see the sun. Were you glad to see the sun? I thought, we're in Colorado. Who stole the sun? You're supposed to see it every day. So maybe you've got a little seasonal affective disorder that's pushing in on you. Maybe you're thinking, I mean, they say the days are getting longer, but it sure doesn't feel like it. I shoveled my driveway more this week than I ever want to in 10 years. So, if you're feeling that way, Ecclesiastes, if you're not sure how to see it, can be a tough read. It's a little bit depressing. Let me show you how depressing it is, okay? Just so you know what you're in for. Here's how it begins. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So, there's two voices in Ecclesiastes. One is sort of the narrator, and the other is, is the teacher. And this is how it begins meaningless. In fact, let's just say it together, shall we? Let's all read it together. Are you with me? Okay, here we go. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And I promise you, if anybody in your family woke up and said this and you didn't know they were reading from scripture, you would say, I mean, we should make you an appointment probably. Or have you had your meds? You know, I feel like maybe you've missed your meds. This is This is absolutely one of the toughest starts to any of the books in scripture. But for us to grasp what it says and for you to understand where this story goes and even how you might apply it to the values that you're gonna sort through as we think about our own daily habit of reflection, it's important that you know this, that this word meaningless is probably, even though it's in most of our English translations, is probably not the best word. It's a Hebrew word that's in this text and it's a, it's a word that we don't have a good correlation to in English and so it's, it's the closest and it's an unfortunate beginning to the book because the book will take you down a path that is incredibly thoughtful and unbelievably helpful as you ponder your life. So the, the Hebrew word for meaningless in the text is, is hevel, say it with me, hevel. Just like, it look, just like it looks, it's easy to say. It's Hebrew. You learned some Hebrew today. Let's say it again. You ready? Hevel. And it means two things. It means this, that life itself, so remember what it says, utterly meaningless, life is meaningless, everything is meaningless, and he says it 38 times in the book. So I mean, by the time you get to 37 or 38, you're like, not, not helpful. I, I need something more, uh, more light to read. This word hevel in there is so much, it's important that you grasp it. So the first thing it means is this, is that, that life is, is temporary and fleeting. That's what it means. That feels pretty different than meaningless, doesn't it? And the meaning is so different and so unique that you need to grasp this because you know this is true. It's the feeling you had, those of you who know Dina Schmidt well, when you heard Josh explain the news, especially if you didn't know it. It's the feeling I had that Josh had when we got on the phone, all of us, and had the news about about the life is temporary and fleeting. James says this and he makes it clear. Life is temporary and fleeting. We know this because we've been to funerals. We know people who have passed. Some far too early, far too young, and it feels like it doesn't even matter at what age or at what stage of life, it feels temporary and it's fleeting. James says it this way, life is like a mist. It's like a vapor. You, you feel like you've understood it and you get your arms around it and then you go to grab it and it's gone right through your fingers. And so this idea of life being temporary and being fleeting is something that you have had to face already. Whether or not you think your life is meaningless, I sure hope you don't. That's not what is meant by the content of Ecclesiastes. First, it's that life is temporary and that it is fleeting. In other words, the things that you're gonna experience today are an utter, complete, and absolute gift of God. When you walked out this morning and you saw the sun, after our gray day yesterday, and you felt the warmth. Today, when you sit down to eat something delicious, like my good friend who values food, you'll feel that same feeling. If you have a conversation with somebody here today that is meaningful or a connection, Maybe it's just a handshake or a hug. All of these things remind us that these things are temporary and fleeting. It won't always be like this. This is probably the only time that all of us, specifically, who we are, will gather in this room together all at once. Because it'll be different next week. It's temporary and it's fleeting. And you know this already. So you keep that in mind and you understand the first part of what Hevel means. But then the second idea is just as important, especially as you get into the book, and it's that Hevel, life is Hevel, life is Hevel, it means that life itself is, or our existence is an enigma or a paradox. And what he means by this, and you'll see it unfold in the book, and the the definition of this word will begin to take all kinds of texture once you start to read Ecclesiastes. And you can even recall, if you've read Ecclesiastes, what some of the things are that he gets into. It means this, that that we think we can figure out life, we think we can sort it out, We, we think we can kind of predict and get a formula down and this is how we are we we want to know if I do A then B will happen if I work hard I'll get ahead if I save my money I'll have enough for a rainy day you you fill in the blank if I'm good to you you'll be good to me all of these things we believe are true about life but the text of Ecclesiastes says not really it's it's a lot of hevel it's a whole lot of hevel and what that means is is that I might work hard and somebody else might get what I work for Or I might be thoughtful and considerate and somebody else is not thoughtful and not considerate back to me. It might mean that I believe that if I live this certain way, God will bless me and take care of me. But I could still end up with a diagnosis I didn't want. I could still end up in a spot that my behavior or my choices didn't put me in. You know this is true because the people that you know and even examples from your own life, all of these things have happened. And we would like to say, well, isn't God predictable? And the answer, of course, is no, but we want him to be. Can't we count on him for, and usually what follows is something that we think is a contractual agreement with God, that if I do this, then God will do this, certainly. And the author says, I've lived long enough I've seen enough lives to know and I've experienced in my own life that most of those things aren't true. They may be true a lot, but not always true. And so life itself is an enigma. enigma. You know what that means, right? It's hard to understand or difficult to put your head around. And it's a paradox. We think this is gonna happen, but this happens instead. And so if this is true, if this is true, that... Life is temporary and fleeting. It's also an enigma and a paradox. Then when we begin to read Ecclesiastes, we're going to see, ah, that has a different context then. Meaningless sounds awful. This sounds intriguing. And it sounds like something I actually already know. I just don't know what to do with it. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to help you figure out, is the ladder up against the right wall? That's what he's going to do. So when somebody says to you, how was your day? Then you have some thoughtful, scriptural, time-tested values to start to begin to think about it. So, Ecclesiastes, all 12 chapters this week. That's you and me digging in and reading. And then I'm going to have us, uh, over the next two weeks, read Luke 10, 25 through 37. And so you don't have to remember that if you don't want. You can read the whole chapter of Luke. You'll read some verses you didn't have to, but it's not that many. And if if you can't remember this, then you can remember the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a moment where Jesus has to answer a question that a Pharisee teacher of the law asks him. And the question that he's asked is this very simple question. Teacher, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And so we're going to take these two passages, Ecclesiastes and Luke chapter 10... And we're going to talk about the values that maybe we could actually begin to incorporate into our daily reflections as we consider, how are things going? how's your day? How was your week? And the reason why we'll do this is because there is this Old Testament piece of wisdom literature that asks and answers that question from about 12 different perspectives, and we can lean on that wisdom. And the scalpel of Scripture will identify some things in us that maybe need to be either put in place and deeply rooted or maybe removed and no longer a part of our deal. And the reason why we use this passage is because when this man asks this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What we hear him asking is, what do I have to do to get to heaven? But he has missed the whole idea of Jesus' ministry and what he's actually asking and he doesn't even know it is this. How do I live a life that's worth living? That's the question he wants the answer to. Where God is present, the things that matter most should matter most, and my choices are built around not what would make my day easier or give me less friction or more peace or whatever it is that we might move toward, the best brisket in town. Nothing wrong with that, but that I would decide that the answers to these questions give me the thoughtful criteria I need to reflect on my life. And so the passage that we used last week that helps frame all of this for us is this. So let's say this together the same way we did last week. Are you ready? And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Let's pray together. Lord, this is our prayer today. We thoughtfully want to reflect on our lives in a way that allows you to take center stage and our desires to be subject to your values. So Lord, we know that our values come from a number of places, the families we were raised in, the the fears that keep us focused on possible future insecurities. Our values come from our friends that influence us and some for good, and some in ways that make those fears increase. So may the question that's been on the screen a few times already today be one that sort of rings in our mind and in our hearts this week. How was your day? And as we consider the answer to this question, our hope and our prayer is that you would help us to Put love at the center of that question. The idea that our love could grow more perfect—that means that those that we're in the presence of get to experience a bit more of you. That we could be like Jesus in this world means that we're just not about the business of accomplishing our to-do list or becoming more successful or building our own little kingdom so that we have more and better but that we might surrender more thoughtfully to you Lord you've given each one of us in this room good work to do, good work with our minds, good work with our hands and the work we do and how we do it the relationships that we build they give us a chance to experience your grace and your mercy not only in our interactions with each other but with people that we don't even know yet, that we've yet to meet. And so Lord, as we consider this this metaphor of instant replay, the, the goal and the hope through any of this is not to put ourselves in a place of coming up short or condemnation. We recognize that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ, and so we bring to the table this idea of reflection that we may know you more fully, more completely, so we pray Lord as we go through this week that we would do so with our ears open to your voice our eyes open to what you would want to accomplish in us and through us and that we would be your instruments of love and mercy in a world that is in desperate need of both so Lord as we prepare to leave this place and go into a world that needs it so much. We pray that these lyrics would seal these thoughts in our minds and in our hearts. We ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus, and we say together, amen.